Well, today's message carries on somewhat from last week. We were looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but mainly focusing on Old Testament times, uh, right from the very dawn of creation, how the Holy Spirit is mentioned there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, it was empty and formless, and uh, there was darkness, and the Spirit of God brooded over the waters. And then uh, his work with individuals during the pages of the Old Testament scriptures, how he came on individuals at specific times for specific purpose, but only for a limited time. He came upon a person, he departed from that person. It might have been through uh, that one's willful ways or it might be the completion of the task. But when we come to the New Testament, uh, even in the Gospels, uh, the Holy Spirit is active, but it's not until the resurrection of the Lord and the day of Pentecost that we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. But before that, the Lord gave some teaching to his disciples about the one who was going to come. Uh, It was the night before the cross. Uh, His disciples were bewildered because they knew that this was a dangerous hour. And and the Lord was telling them that he was going to go away. And uh, in John chapter 13... Uh, Peter said, but why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. And then that's when Peter told him, disclosed to him that uh, brave words now, but when the crunch comes, uh, you will be uh, as weak as anyone else. You will deny that you even know me three times. And, uh, And so this happened. But then we come on into chapter 14 when Uh, Once again, the Lord said, where I'm going, you know, the way you know. And Thomas said, but Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And we have those wonderful words from the Lord to Thomas. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Words that have been used to great effect in the preaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and no one will will be uh, received into the glories of heaven apart than through him. And uh, But then he, he spoke about when he goes, he will send another comforter. It is... It is expedient for you, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come. So let's turn to John chapter 14 and read some of these verses that, that uh, we have uh, before us. John chapter 14 and reading from verse uh, 16. <coughs> If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. This is from the New King James Version. Another helper, uh, comforter. Uh, The word comforter in our uh, authorised version, it's um, changed its meaning slightly since uh, 400 years ago when that translation uh, came on the scene. Uh, 
the comfort of then a compound word uh, with the second part of it, fortis, uh, meaning uh, security and protection. Uh, today, uh, comforter means something perhaps a little more tender than that. But, um, but another helper, the same word is translated in the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, if any man sin, I write these things that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Same word, uh, parakletos, parakleton, uh, as comforter, helper. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And so here is the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. And this was all new to the disciples. And, um, <clears throat> and, and so this is someone who would indwell them. And... Uh, uh, just coming down a little further to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, what remarkable words these are. The Lord himself was facing the prospect of the cross. He knew what was in store for him. The death which was a death of shame. Not just the, the horrific, the physical agony of crucifixion. Not just the shame of crucifixion but being abandoned, forsaken by the Father because he was bearing our sins upon himself. And yet he speaks to the disciples, peace, peace I leave with you. How could someone speak about peace at a time like that? But he did. This is our saviour. This is our friend. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. The absence of war. I'm not talking about that sort of peace. I'm talking about an inward peace. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. This is peace worth having. And he speaks peace. But let's get back to uh, the purpose and of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So although he was active during the uh, Old Testament and during the Gospels, the time when our Lord was on earth, uh, it was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And so uh, his work, uh, uh, as we see if we go over to John chapter 16, uh, once again, this is still the same night and uh, here in John chapter 16, uh, verse 5. And he said, Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going, 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He is already condemned. But uh, this is the purpose of his coming. When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He is the one who impresses upon our heart that we are sinners and we need a saviour. I can't convince you that you need a saviour. But let me assure you, we all need a saviour because we all have sinned. and The wages of sin is death, eternal death. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and convicts the sinner of his sin and shows him that he needs a saviour, someone beyond himself who can bring redemption to him and reconciliation with a holy God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unsaved person. And not only that, but he even helps to bring about redemption to bring about salvation. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul and uh, Silas and uh, Luke himself, he joined the party at that time. Uh, They had come to Philippi. They've crossed the Aegean Sea. Now they're in in Europe. And to uh, Philippi, on the Sabbath day, Paul went out of the city uh, by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made and he spoke to a group of women. And we read that her heart, the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things that were spoken by Paul. Paul was there to preach the gospel and so he was speaking in a more personal way, no doubt, to this group of women and to one of them, Lydia, a seller of purple. She was from the city of Thyatira, uh, whether she was living permanently in Philippi at that time or just passing through as a saleswoman, we don't know. But, um, but we read that her heart, the Lord opened, so that she attended unto the things that Paul was, uh, was telling about the message of the cross. And then further over, as we get into the scriptures, we see something of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. But getting back to, uh, well, well, in the life of believers, we then can go back to uh, John chapter 14 once again, and there we read several things. One, that... uh, He is the one who will teach us all things that he has commanded us. Um, He will bring all things to remembrance. And, you you know, when when you've walked and talked with the Lord for some time, it is amazing how he can bring things to your remembrance that you may not have heard for decades, but just at the right time, he will. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to be able to bring things to remembrance at the very time when you need it. 
It is an amazing experience, but it is reality. And so uh, he will bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have commanded you. And um, uh, so, so all, all of this is doing in the life of the believer. But when we come over to the new uh, to the epistles, uh, the epistle to the uh, the Ephesians chapter one. Well, well, this is what um, Paul writes there. This wonderful introduction to the whole of the epistle in chapter one, in the first fourteen verses, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That uh, we, uh, if we are Christians, we're chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Uh, that we have redemption through his blood. That we have obtained an inheritance. We are born into the family of God by the new, uh, new birth as uh, children of God. But we are adopted as sons of God. That's the sons who are the inheritors and we are adopted as sons of God. Uh, we have uh, obtained an inheritance, and after that we believed we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he is the earnest, the guarantee of that inheritance. And so just as surely as that, the Holy Spirit is the, inher is the guarantee of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. We saw last week, of course, but uh, this is worth a recap this morning, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a mere influence, an emanation from God uh, drifting through the atmosphere or anything like that. He is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead. And when I say third person, I don't mean uh, order of seniority or importance or... Uh, each one is equal, equally God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. One God, three persons, blessed Trinity. And also he is a divine person. He is God and we must always speak of him with reverence and we always speak of him because he is a person and not a, an influence as he and him, not as it. And so, uh, so let us at all times keep this in mind that he is God and we do not speak of him uh, lightly. And so, uh, so why does he indwell the, Chris, the Christian? Another comforter. Well, you take that old English word comforter. He comforts in sorrow. That is true. And... Uh, uh, some have experienced sorrow recently with the, uh, with the uh, parting of a loved one, someone leaving this life, and, and there is sadness, there are tears. But the comfort that is from the Holy Spirit himself in times like that is really, really something. And... Um, Uh, as we uh, consider this inheritance, for example, in first, uh, the first epistle of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Peter there talks about uh, the inheritance that we have. And I think what Peter's got in mind is part of the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven. 
And so Peter is talking about this treasure, this inheritance we have in heaven, an, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven, and uh, being sealed with the Holy Spirit as we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 is, the, is God's guarantee of that inheritance. Uh, coming over to his uh, second epistle to Timothy and uh, chapter 2, verse 19. And there we read, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. In Ephesians chapter 1, from the day we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We had a seal placed upon us, and in the, uh, for, uh, sorry, Second uh, Timothy, we read that uh, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That seal is like a brand. You go out to the um, back blocks of Queensland or New South Wales or the Northern Territory, and you will see cattle country. And on the sides, on the hip, there'll be a there'll be a mark burned into the hide from a branding iron. And wherever that beast goes, the owner knows, the farmer knows which is his. You could put it in a, a herd of cattle um, of several hundreds of thousands and he'll be able to pick out his. Might be a slow, laborious task to go through them all looking for it, but he will be able to identify his by the brand. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit that the Lord knows us. And um, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. But that's only half the verse. It's like a coin. You look at a coin and you see what's on that side there, but you turn over the coin, you read the rest of this verse, and it is this, Let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, be done with sin. There must be a change in our behaviour along with the change in our standing before God. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, just like that cow uh, wandering off. And then let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Of course, Facing reality, we do get tripped up at times. And that's when uh, the scriptures are so comforting then as well. As we uh, looked at First uh, John chapter 2, that um, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have this one who will speak for us, this paraclete, the one who is called alongside to help. And so in the New King James in chapter 14, the helper is the title that he is given in this case. So he indwells the Christian to comfort in times of sorrow. Going back to John chapter 14, he comes to teach, he comes to guide. He will guide you into all truth. If we, will, if we are willing to be led by the Holy Spirit, he will guide us in the right way. And... Uh, uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians in the first epistle, he said that, um, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He indwells us. 
Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so uh, he comes to convict the sinners uh, of their sin, and yet so many do not come. Why not? Because, again, we read that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And we do need, as I said before, I can't convince you that you are a sinner, you need a saviour, but the Holy Spirit can. So the preaching of the cross to them who perish, foolishness. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to open the understanding so that we do see our need of a saviour. And then uh, further, uh, he, he indwells to comfort in sorrow, he indwells to teach us, uh, to guide us into all truth, and also to bear fruit, fruit for the Master's glory, fruit that is honouring to God. Not only honouring to God, but honouring to people around about us. Nine fruit of the Spirit we read of in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-23. Three are Godward, three are manward, three are withinward. And uh, the first three, the fruit of the Spirit, is love and joy and peace. And it goes on, long-suffering, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. But love joy and peace. So we see that um, he indwells the spirit in the person, the individual, the Christian, to bear fruit, and this fruit would be for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people, the love and the joy and the peace. Well, all of this is to show what a serious thing it is to sin against the Holy Spirit because there are specific sins that people can commit, some that a Christian can commit, some that a non-Christian commits. And so just to have a look at some of these, the first one is lying to the Holy Spirit. And for this we go to the, uh, the next book after John's Gospel, the book of Acts and chapter 5. Well, in the uh, closing verses of chapter 4, uh, we read how the people had come... Jewish people had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and that's when the Holy Spirit came. That's when Peter and John preached with such power that thousands responded and the church was born and there were thousands of Christians, so much so that uh, the people were reluctant to go to their places of, um, of residence, distant places, and they stayed on. Well, consequently, they ran out of the bare essentials of life and it was up to the locals to become generous and to, do, and to um, help them, those who'd come from distant places and, and uh, stayed longer than they uh, expected to do so. And so um, we read that in the closing verses of chapter 4 that those who had a, a block of land which was lying idle, they'd sell it and with the proceeds they'd come, bring the money to the apostles' feet for distribution to those who had need. 
a wonderful example of something that has taken place in the hearts of people. And then we read in chapter 5 of Acts, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Peter He's got real discernment at this time. He didn't have, as you go through the Gospels, but now with a discernment which is a God-given gift to him from the Holy Spirit, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Lying to the Holy Spirit is the first of these lies, that we, uh, first of these sins that we look at this morning. And to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Whilst it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Once again, impressing upon us all that the Holy Spirit is God. He lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to the people around about. You've lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. So what was his crime? What were, why was he uh, rebuked in such a way? As Peter said, while that block of land was yours, it was yours. You could do with whatever you like. You could grow veggies or flowers or, or make a playground out of it. You could do whatever you wanted to do with it. And even after it was sold, whatever you got for it, that was yours. What was Peter's crime? He came giving only part of the money, even that's all right, to give part and to keep part, but he pretended that that was the total amount. This was the sin of hypocrisy. He kept back part, and the part that he brought, this is the money I got for the sale of that land. You know, if we could put it into today's currency here, uh, let's say he sold it for 500000 and so he brings 350,000. I sold that block of land for 350,000. Here it is. And Peter challenged him, why has Satan filled your heart? You've not lied to, to us. You've lied to men. You see how Peter had the gift of discernment at that time, something that was totally new to him. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known the difference if I'd been there, but Peter did. And so... So just to read on. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. He, he fell down dead. And great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later uh, when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much, the 300, this is hypothetical, the 350,000. And she said, Yes, that's the amount we got. Verse 9. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord, that is, the Holy Spirit? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet breathed her last. Now why did the Lord judge those people so severely at that time? 
Well, for a start, I believe that they were genuine Christians, but it was the sin of hypocrisy, pretending to be something that they were not, pretending they were giving their all, um, which, which was uh, right for them. It was okay for them to do so, so long as they didn't make a pretense of saying that that was the total figure that they got for the land. It was, it was the desire... For the, for the, well, the, the reward of uh, being fully concentrated to the Lord, but not willing to pay the price, pretending to be something they were not. Now, of course, that doesn't happen today. If it did, I don't know that would be enough people to to take us out because we are all guilty of it. But still. It's showing us what a serious matter it is to trifle with God and so it, it urges us to, to really um, give God our best or not pretend to give him the best if we're keeping back part of it. What a serious thing it is to trifle with the Lord. But let's move on. Uh, that is uh, uh, lying to the Holy Spirit. Come to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 and we have the next one here. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Uh, Just to read it from the uh, New King James, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. There's that seal again, uh, sealed uh, by the Holy Spirit that... uh, brand of God upon us so that the Lord knows those who are his and uh, so how do we how do we grieve the Holy Spirit well we keep this verse also in its context let's go back to verse 29 let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may minister grace to the hearers in the authorised version let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying but so often our mouths do anything but minister grace to those who are hearing and if we go go further to verse 31 um, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So there's got to be a real change in our behaviour when we come to Christ. We do not become saved by good works. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. If we could be saved if we could save ourselves by our own good works, then we would have something to boast about. But you read verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The good works follow, and this is what we have here. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, malice. And, uh, and then it says in the following verse, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. But so often we don't do that. And if someone does the wrong thing by us, we hold a grudge and, oh, you know, that person's going to get what's coming to them before long and won't I be pleased. And, and this sort of attitude. 
This grieves the Holy Spirit, and we are told, Grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. So you see that uh, Christians can sin against the Holy Spirit. You have the Ten Commandments about um, uh, those things that constitute sin. There are sins for the Christian that were not sins for a non-Christian. If you think you're being hard done by, well, really you're not. But that's true. There are sins that only a Christian could commit to grieve the Holy Spirit, the one who has sealed us, and uh, and that seal is our inheritance uh, or the guarantee of our inheritance. And uh, but so often we can be so unforgiving of others. Galatians chapter six, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, uh, so often. We Christians can be the most unforgiving people going. You have a, a really bad sinner like the woman, woman that we read about. If she were to come through the door down here now and, and say she wants to become a Christian, well, we would welcome her so greatly. But then you let Satan trip one of our own up and trip him up and then he comes back. Somehow we just don't take that person back into confidence too readily at all. He may be so very sorrowful and weeping and uh, uh, repenting, but somehow or other we are not so ready to forgive an erring brother or sister. Well, uh, there's another sin that uh, is mentioned here. At the, um, in the closing verses of First Thessalonians, we have a few short, sharp um, uh, little commands uh, to pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore. And then this one, quench not the Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, for one thing, the Lord Jesus said on the night of his betrayal when he had the disciples in the upper room, he will guide you into all truth. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to guide us. Now, we can uh, ignore that and we can go our own way and in so doing, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. Or we can, as individuals or as a church, we can stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes this happens through man-made rules and regulations which are so restrictive but somehow or other they're supposed to be for our benefit. And the Holy Spirit is quenched because he is unable to move freely in the life of a local church because of these others. And so we we can uh, quench him in this regard. Um, We we can limit him through, through our own sin. We can limit God. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, through fear, it could be pride, it could be uh, any number of things which should not be part of a Christian and yet so often they are. Uh, There's another serious one now, it's often called uh, the unpardonable sin and uh, just very briefly I'd, uh, I'd like for us to look at this. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, this is one that Uh, the Lord spoke about 
a sin which has no no forgiveness. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. The Lord Jesus speaking. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, it will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's a title that he loved to call himself, very often he called himself the Son of Man. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so uh, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that can be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. Now, this is, uh, as I say, called the unpardonable sin, uh, the sin for which there is no... And uh, this is one that I need to do a bit more work on myself because uh, Bible teachers are divided as to whether or not this sin was only for this particular time only for the time when the Lord was on earth and they can make a strong case for that or whether it is still possible today for people to commit the unpardonable sin. And I've still uh, yet to go through all that I can find on this particular topic. But to find out what, what the Lord is speaking of here, you notice the first word, therefore. So let's go back and see what happened before. And to verse 22 of that chapter, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he, the Lord Jesus, healed him. So that the blind and the mute man, he was dumb, he was blind, and now is able to both speak and to see. So he's been, he's been cured of this affliction. And all of the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now David, King David, lived a thousand years earlier. And, and, uh, and why they addressed him as the son of David, or could this be? Because the Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. And we have the Lord's genealogy uh, in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. One is the genealogy of Mary, one is the genealogy of Joseph, who was the Lord's legal father, and both of these had descended from, from King David. And so when they ask the question, could this be the son of David, what they're saying is, could this be the Messiah? And so, you know, the Messiah has come. And, uh, and you see these uh, folk... Uh, recognised uh, what was reality. Could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees, the Pharisees were those uh, who'd made rules and they had added to the rules that God did and they took them to extreme lengths. Uh, you, you know, if a mosquito bites you on the Sabbath day, you can't kill it because that is work. And if someone gets sick, you can't go to the doctor on the Sabbath day. And, and, and they took the law to ridiculous lengths. And the Lord uh, called them on one occasion just a bunch of whitewashed sepulchres full of dead men's bones. And uh, uh, he, he had scathing things to say about the Pharisees. And you can see with good intent. 
When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow, meaning the Lord, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. In other words, they were accusing him of being in league with Satan to perform miracles. And that, the Lord Jesus said, was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because he worked his miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so that is the context in which he spoke. Uh, whether it still could be committed today, uh, there are some who say that it is even worse today than it was then. Um, and, and so the jury is still out as far as I'm concerned. I'll have to do a bit more homework and maybe uh, speak about it some other time. But uh, I would just like to say this. If anyone is a little bit concerned, I, I wonder if I'm guilty of that. I wonder if I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and, and so forth. Let me assure you of this. That is clear proof that you are not guilty. Because if you have a tender conscience toward uh, these things, uh, that just goes to show that you are not guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Someone who would be guilty, if that is possible in this day, he would be so cold and hard to the things of God. And, and uh, while this is not so. Uh, and, and the other one, the, the final one, is in um, Acts chapter 7, and that's to do with uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And uh, uh, because of all these people who'd come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, uh, the widows who'd come from distant places felt that they were being hard done by because the widows, the local widows, were being better looked after than they were. And so the apostles said, well, we're busy with uh, our teaching and preaching, and so they appointed seven deacons to look after this matter to see that everyone got a fair go. And uh, one of these was Stephen, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I often wonder why Stephen had to, had to be the first martyr. He was, he was a remarkable man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, but at the time of his death... There, is, there are these comparisons between his death and the Lord's death, uh, both in uh, the final prayer, uh, the opening prayer and the final prayer of the Lord. He prayed three times, the first and the last. The first time he prayed, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Stephen prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus prayed just before he died, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All I can put this down to is that Stephen was a true branch abiding in the vine, taking us back to John chapter 15. I am the true vine, you are the branches, and the branch, unless it uh, abides in the vine, cannot bear fruit. Stephen was abiding in the vine, and he was praying the same prayers as the Lord was. Why did Stephen have to be the first? Why couldn't they get one of these others we've never heard of again? Well, the Lord in his wisdom, he knows. And it may be, the answer might be, that the people who pelted Stephen with stones, they took off their jackets and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
as if the Holy Spirit is saying to us all, keep Saul in mind. You're going to hear a lot more about him in the days to come. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle to the Gentiles. And this may be what it took to turn around this uh, Pharisee who was so hateful to the church. But getting back to uh, Acts chapter 7. And so this, this is the uh, closing of it now. And uh, uh, Stephen had gone through the history of the Old Testament, uh, the days of the prophets and, uh, and how um, uh, he, he was telling them things that they knew, they knew very, very well. And, um, but how their ancestors were just um, so uh, unreceptive to the prophets. They, they persecuted the prophets. You read uh, some of the things that they did to the prophets in Hebrews 11, sawn asunder, uh, slain with the edge of the sword and so forth. And, uh, and so Stephen winds up his, uh, his, uh, his history lesson of Old Testament times you stiff-necked, this is verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, the Lord Jesus, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But what was their, what was their sin against the Holy Spirit? These are the unsaved. They re- resisted uh, the Holy Spirit just as their ancestors had done. And so, um, so what I would say to you is this. If I'm speaking to someone here this morning who does not uh, know the Lord Jesus as Saviour and Lord yet, well, the Holy Spirit can show you that you do need a Saviour and the Lord Jesus is ready to save right now and he can come to you right where you are. You can be saved on the spot. You don't have to go through any, any ritual or rigmarole. And, uh, and so what I would urge you is to not resist the Holy Spirit, but to come to him just as you are, without one plea, but that the Lord Jesus died to be your saviour. And, uh, and so, so with these thoughts in mind that, that we can lie to the Holy Spirit, those of us who are Christians, we can be hypocritical in our daily walk. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions and our attitudes. We can uh, quench the Spirit to stifle his movement among us. But for an unsaved person, they can resist the Holy Spirit when he calls, when he impresses upon them the need of a saviour. We would urge you this morning, don't leave this place unsaved, but turn your life over to him. And we are here ready to help. Let us pray. Loving Father, we give you thanks indeed for the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the one who indwells us to bear fruit for the Master's glory, to give us a testimony by the way. And so, Lord, we we rejoice uh, to to know and to understand a little more 
But our thoughts also go out to any here who do not know the Saviour. And we pray, Father, that this will be a time when the Holy Spirit comes and does his gracious work in their hearts of convicting of sin, showing them their need of a Saviour, helping them to salvation and, and bringing the wonderful message of the cross into reality in their lives. But now we ask that we part with your blessing and in all things that we may seek to live for our Lord in these days that lie ahead. We ask these things returning our thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.